Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Hey, loyal listeners. I'll be hosting this episode myself. I've been involved in software development for more than 25 years. I've started companies, led companies, and worked for companies, doing many different things. I'm honored to be considered a leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem, and I give back as much and as often as I can. When I'm not working or podcasting, you'll find me pursuing my passions of photography, crypto investing, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. Join my guest Megan Donahoe and I for an informative discussion on being more inclusive and rainforest circles. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast for Rainforest Alberta. My name, well, I guess you know who I am. My special guest today is Megan Donahoe and Megan is a leadership activist, a very, uh, you know, pillar in our community and Welcome, Megan. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. <laughs> One of the things that popped up recently is Megan ha- has been working with Rainforest to put together the Rainforest Circles, which we're going to talk about very shortly here. But I also wanted to let everybody know kind of who Megan is. So, Megan, maybe you can give us a little bit of background on uh, you know who you are and what what you were like when you were a kid growing up, were you always uh, like, like, is this track of, of like passion for leadership been there the whole time? Or is it something you've sort of recently fell into and got excited about? Mm, Good question. It's probably if I were to ask my friends and family, they would probably say it's been there the whole time. So yeah, a little bit about me. I I grew up in Calgary. So I'm a born and raised Calgarian. And I think I would say that my track towards focusing on leadership really, really started, I mean, outside of doing kind of sports and, and getting involved in leading those types of things really started when I discovered industrial organizational psychology, which is a, a type of research area, but also people learn this taught this area and then they practice it. And so I was in undergrad, I went to University of Calgary and was uh, doing a double major between business and a psychology. And I always thought I wanted to be a say like a psychologist or a child psychologist. And then, but I always took business because I was inter- interested in entre- entrepreneurship. So then I discovered one class, I went to an organizational psychology class. And as soon as I started learning about the science of workplace and the way people connect and how people lead and the way, you know, how do teams function well and how do people find meaning in work? I was totally hooked. Immediately, I was like, this is it. This is the the merging of the world of psychology and business. And yeah, so so that's kind of how I ended up doing what I do. I, I ended up doing a master's in industrial organizational psychology over in Nova Scotia in Halifax at St. Mary's University. And, and then I came back here to start practicing um, in the field. So oftentimes you kind of go into consulting or you can also go within organizations and usually large organizations. So came back here within oil and gas and had the opportunity to do succession planning and team effectiveness and oh, what others leadership development programs. And so that's kind of been that last 
decade of my career has been focusing on, you know, building healthier workplaces so people can find meaning in the work that they do and, and, you know, really find a wonderful place and space to contribute to work. Well, that's really interesting and, and so needed. I mean, uh, I think in, you know, in my experience working at different companies and stuff, it's, it's one of those things where a lot of the larger companies, especially don't necessarily focus as much on the people as they should, right? They're focused on the numbers and, and the, the shareholder value and stuff like that. And they don't, they don't really spend a ton of time and effort on people. And without the people in your organization being comfortable and happy and feeling good about being there, the productivity isn't there. And the, and the, the, you get a revolving door of people going somewhere to try and find happiness. Uh, yeah. I can imagine that, the, you know, as people start to realize, and, and certainly in our day and age, it's starting to become a lot more prevalent that people are need to be happy at their work. And especially after, you know, the, the recent thing that happened that starts with a C <laughs> that we won't talk about. People, people are, you know, starting to change their attitudes towards work. Yeah, it's, I mean, the pandemic has had a huge impact on people's well-being. So I think, I mean, already before the pandemic, people were were experiencing, you know, there was burnout. And if you look at some of the research on burnout, a lot of it started within healthcare. And now when you look at how people talk about burnout, it is across all types of organizations. And it always existed there, but it's really now just so much, you know, people now have the language and they can talk about it and they can see it and how people are reacting to that low level of energy or and high levels of stress that they're experiencing on the job. And I think I want to go back to what you had commented around how oftentimes we do look at the numbers, right? The the balance sheets and we often don't think about the people. And I'll I'll never forget um something someone said and I can't remember who said it. I don't know if it's a quote from somebody, but the question was what is an organization when everybody goes home at the end of the day? I thought so interesting. And I know maybe within the tech ecosystem, you could probably say, well, it's a, you know, it's a service that you could access anytime, anywhere. But at the end of the day, when your organ, when, you know, the people who work for you go home, does your organization still exist as it does when people are there? And so how do we think about it in that way? And I love, there's a wonderful speaker who's been kind of doing the TED Talk circuit. He's written a book. Uh, his name is James Ree. And he talks about math and kindness. And I love it because he really does talk about how, so he's in a finance and account, an accountant by trade. And he would talk about how when you sell an organization, there is that line item when you sell it called goodwill. And it's hard to quantify. And it's just kind of that extra special sauce, whatever that may be. That's the difference between your assets, like those tangible things that you can put a number on, and the value of your company, this idea of goodwill. And that is what he starts to talk about in terms of like, there's math and there's kindness. And they both come together and there's room for it when you're thinking about organizations and when you're thinking about the people that work for you. Oh, that's neat. We'll definitely have those links in the show notes because that's this is fascinating. This, I mean, it's, it's something that the average person doesn't think about too much. But it's so important to, to really focus on those things and as a, as a human being, when you're, when you're working a job that you love, you get up in the morning and you're excited to take on the day and go do things. And if you're in a, 
you know, a dead end job and you're not interested in it and it's painful to get up. It's like, Oh, I hate Mondays. Oh, I don't want to go to work today. And, and it just, it just makes life miserable. And so, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, with, with, in that regard, you, you've sort of came into sort of the rainforest culture a little bit, uh, helping with Bridget and Amber putting together some sort of events on leadership and mad- and learning more about leadership and that kind of thing. How did that call, how did that all come about? Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple of stories here. So here's where we kind of go all over the place. Uh, so the first, the first kind of, I guess, catalyst you would, that started with the rainforest was I had been working within human resources because most of the time the people within my roles end up in human resources because that's where the people who think about people tend to go, which we can have a long conversation about some of the issues associated with that. But for now, I started to become very interested in how technology was going to impact the way we learn, the way we lead, the way we interact with and engage with work. And so I really wanted to understand more about, you know, the tech industry, technology itself. And at the same time within my organization, there was an opportunity to move over to a group that was focusing specifically on advanced technology. So I jumped on that pivot as fast as I could and now have the opportunity to work with an amazing team, including Jim Gibson, Jasmine Pallardy, Sabrina Sullivan. So some amazing folks. And, and have learned a lot about technology and wanted to learn more about the people within the industry, which is the, how I ended up getting connected with rainforest. Um, the piece around, so I started attending those, those meetings, the lunch without lunches, I really enjoyed how, you know, people were so generous in giving of their networks and their advice and their ideas. And it was neat to also see profiled all of these different entrepreneurs within the ecosystem. But I had an interesting experience in one lunch without lunch, and that kind of prompted me to reach out to Bridget and then started this whole conversation around behaviors and inclusion and diversity and leadership. And so I'll, I'll share the, the, the situation that had happened. So we had been having a conversation around rainforest. It was being facilitated and we were asked to go into to breakout rooms to to talk about our feedback and share and then bring it and present back, bring it back into the main space. And so I was in a breakout room with four men. So I was the only woman of four men. And so we started off and, and one of the individuals in the room had said, oh, okay, Megan, you know, why don't you go first? And so I started off by introducing myself and saying, hello, hi. Uh, and then when I was done passing it over to someone else, the individual in the room had said, oh, actually, by the way, we have to take notes. Megan, can you take notes? And so. Oh, how rude. <laughs> well, I mean, it was probably wasn't intentionally rude. It intended to be rude. I mean, I had just gone, so I get it. But, so, but I think for some context is that oftentimes women are asked to take notes in meetings. It's, it's very common. It happens. And, and in, in some cases, women don't even need to be asked. They just do it because it's, it's kind of this unconscious, like micro- uh, non-inclusive thing that we all do. Uh, but I had just come off of International Women's Day last year. I still had the background of International Women's Day. And I was like, Megan, I, you know, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to say something. This is the first time I've ever said something. But I, and I felt so nervous. I like, you know, my heart was pounding. And I, what I ended up saying was, well, actually, and I, women are often asked to take notes. And so I would love if one of the men in this room would do it. And 
everyone was kind of nodding, but nobody spoke up. And it was the most awkward like moment of silence of like, and of course the individual who had suggested I take notes felt really bad. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. I said, I know I, I had no intention of doing that, but this is sort of this unconscious behavior we're all, we've all become accustomed to or used to. And so I had sent a note to another friend who had been in the same meeting and she was in a different group with, with other men and had experienced something else that was very close to sort of this, just these kind of di- you know, non-inclusive behaviors. And so that's when we had kind of approached Bridget and said, you know, this has been interesting. And, and that's how we kind of got started. We said, well, how do we, we started with the question, like, how do we make this environment more inclusive for all different types of people? And so people feel safe and included and it's, you know, we're going to screw up sometimes and that's okay. But how do we make it a safe place for people to sit, to share, to say, actually, this is not okay. Or actually, what if we do it this way? And I felt very safe in that conversation with those people to say it, but how do we bring that conversation more to the front? Uh, so all comfortable talking about it. I love it. I love it. And, you know, like many of these types of situations, a lot of the stuff around DEI is literally just because people don't think about it or they don't understand or they don't know. And so by bringing it to light and providing opportunities and examples and, and, you know, resources, it's, it's sort of like, okay, oh, that makes sense. I get that. And then maybe next time they're in that same person is in a meeting, they'll, they'll be like, oh, you know what? Someone should take notes. Does anyone want to volunteer? And then instead of asking the, the female in the crowd, but whether it was, you know, intentionally subconsciously or not intentional at all, I think it's sometimes it's just, the, you know, knowing the difference and just realizing it. Yeah, I think we, we focus so much on intent. And I think that that's the wrong place to focus because ultimately it's, you know, it's all of us. We're all just trying to figure it out. And I truly believe, and, and this is, you know, a fundamental value I have, that people are good. People like same with work, right? People want to show up to work every day and contribute and do a good job. And when they end up in situations where they're not that way, then I like to understand, well, what's going on? Like what's going on for the person? Because sometimes it has nothing to do with work. It has everything to do with what else is going on in their life. And sometimes it has to do with the work environment or the, you know, the processes, or maybe they don't have the knowledge they need. So, so I always believe or start with that, with that initial sort of belief of, you know, assume best intent. We all assume best intent. And then instead of focusing on whether or not their intent was good, then we can start to focus on, well, how do we adjust the behavior so that it, so that it's more productive and it's more inclusive and it's, it's kinder. That's, that's where I really love to go. Nice. Now let's take this as a segue into the rainforest circles. Cause I do want to talk about that. And, um, you know, you and I had lunch on Friday and we talked about this a little bit, but when I saw the circles thing, I thought, Oh, cool. Oh, cool. But immediately in my mind, it was like, like a whole bunch of work and I'm so busy. And, and I was kind of like really hesitant to sign up, but then, you know, we talked about a a little bit and I think we should have a very similar conversation on the air uh, about why it's so important to take that time and put in that effort for this, this concept that's coming up. So maybe you could give us a little bit of a background on it and sort of lead us into that discussion. Yeah. So, and so the short answer for anybody listening around, you know, why sign up for circles is that this is an investment in yourself when it comes to 
you know, keeping up to the times of, of leadership mindset, as well as building your networks. So that's the short answer. And then the, now I'm going to give kind of the long, the long answer around why these, these experiences are so important and they're so valuable and, and how I know they work. So uh, in the organization that I'm in, uh, right when the pandemic had hit, we had been measuring people's engagement and we'd been doing it by annual surveys and had just shifted to pulse surveys as the pandemic had hit. So we were doing it three times a year. We were asking people questions. And so early on in the pandemic, we had really good data around people's engagement levels and how people were feeling like emotionally and and health wise. And we saw a huge plummet in the leadership's feelings of engagement and well-being. And this is this is not typical. So generally, the way it works when you survey people's engagement, the people with the highest engagement are the ones at the top. They're the ones who are the executives. And then it just kind of goes downhill from there, <laughs> so, like in a very linear way. So this is this was not common to see this interesting blip for leaders who were feeling extremely overwhelmed and, and nearing burnout. And it was hugely concerning. And so we knew that leaders needed help and they needed support. And we know for a fact in, in research that social support provides increases in people's well-being. So you go out, you spend time with your friend, you have networks with your colleagues. And so when you're talking about work, oftentimes, um, especially if you're in, you're like one of only a couple people in your organization who might do the same thing you're doing, um, or people, you know, your social support for your friends at home, you don't, you might not talk about work because they may not understand your work or your industry or your environment. And so having the opportunity to connect with people who had similar areas of interest or industry experience or positions in this case was really helpful. So what we did is we had put it out to our leaders to say, join us. We knew they were busy. That was because of course you get burnt out when you have too much on your plate. So we knew they were busy. So we knew that, okay, they needed to take time to seek social support, to seek access to those networks. They also need the tools to be able to effectively manage their teams because the things that are burning them out are the things that we can help them with if they have a moment to take, you know, to to think about them. And it needed to be the least amount of time as possible. And so, so began a bit of an experiment where we then launched a circle just like this. And the ask was, okay, you're going to meet for an hour each week with several people that you can connect with and talk about something with. But we're not just going to throw you into a meeting and kind of awkwardly figure out what you're going to talk about. We're going to give you something to talk about that's related to your work. And so we would assign them some reading, some learning. And so and it was only up to like 20 minutes. And so I usually say an hour because some people like to be able to focus or reflect. But really, the content is no more than 30 minutes to get through. So you can listen to it on on a walk. You can listen to a podcast. You can read a book, read an article, watch a video. But it's something small. And what it's supposed to do is to teach you something about leadership and then bring, you know, create a something to talk about within the group. And what was amazing, and I participated, I've run these four times now, and I participated in all four and each time in with a different group. And it is so amazing. The conversation is never the same. And I've participated in it where it's actually been the same topics or the same readings each week. And I've gotten something new out of it every time because the, everybody is bringing their own personal experience, their own lens to the conversation. So you get to know them as people. And then you also get to, to benefit and learn from their experiences and what they've done, which really changes things. And so that goes for seven weeks. And so you've got seven meetings, goes so fast. 
And then you end up with these friends for life. And one leader had said to me, which I will never forget it. She said that her experience in the circles made it so that when she showed up to a meeting in our organization and she saw other people who were part of her circles, she immediately felt less stressed. Like she noticed like a physical calming because she knew that the other people in that room had her back. That's cool. Yeah. So it really is. And I mean, I know this is within the context of an organization, but the same can work within the context of an ecosystem. And I think that's what's so valuable is how do we How do we deepen the relationships and build trust across our ecosystem, starting with just a few, but then we can repeat this over and over again. And suddenly, you know, your network of four other people has grown to 30 other people who you deeply trust, you know, you know, you know, things about them that you don't normally talk about in a, in a quick, hello, how are you? Lunch without lunch. Um, And you're learning from their experiences and you're getting to know who they are as a person and what they believe and what they value. And on top of that, you're learning the same types of things, which means that we're starting to embed within the ecosystem a mindset about leadership that will help us uh, thrive in our digital world. Oh, that's so cool. So you're not only are you um, building your network, but you're also actually gaining new skills and, and knowledge that you can apply to the rest of your life. Yeah. And you don't have to look for it. So, so this is totally curated for you, which is nice because, you know, sometimes we, we might ask ourselves like, oh, I wonder if this is the way I'm supposed to to do it. Or like, how, what's a better way I could communicate with this person? Or how might I, you know, effectively help them get what they need? Or, you know, all these little, these little things that come up on our daily, on the daily, when we interact with people, this will give you some new ideas on how to, to engage differently or, you know, or maybe you already do those things and it's, it's going to help you kind of extend your skills in that area. And so this is nice. And, and I mean, it's little bits and pieces, right? Cause we go to these one day trainings or two day trainings and it's, it's too long. It's never enough. You end up leaving with a couple things to try to apply on the job. And so I really believe in this is this ongoing learning, right? That's why we, we try to read the news every day. We try to, you know, you know, tune into our favorite source or, you know, thought leadership every day. And then every day, it's just this building block that you continue to build on that knowledge. And so this is the same idea. Oh, that's, that's really, really interesting. Um, How, how, um, how many people would typically be in a circle? So in your own circle, it's about four to five people. So it's really small. Yeah. So you're, so you get to know them quite deeply. It's also logistically a lot easier to schedule a meeting with four people than it is with 30. Then there's the benefit of the community. So, so throughout there's opportunities to connect in on other people who are having the same experiences. And so we'll have an online community and then we'll also gather every once in a while, be totally optional, but the feedback I often get is people like the opportunity to connect in small groups, but they also want to hear what the bigger group has to say. So we'll find ways, whether it's using lunch without lunch or separate opportunity for a meetup for people to get together and just go, gosh, like, what did you think of that reading? Or what did you think of the last couple topics we, we talked about? And, and everyone's read it. So it's just like this big book club. It's so much fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so the intention then is to do this sort of outside of the lunch without lunches, but potentially having a connection at one of the lunch without lunches, but yeah, yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. outside of it. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. yeah, That's really, really fascinating. Okay, cool. Well, in regards to these circles and in tying it back into the tech ecosystem or the innovation ecosystem here in Alberta, where do you, 
where do you hope that this is going to lead us? Mm, Good question. Well, let me start with a story. So I think that maybe this was the, you know, all of the, I used to believe that the tech industry was a lot more forward thinking when it came to how they engage people in their organization. And maybe that was, you know, partially the Google and the Facebook of having, you know, uh, pool tables or free coffee or all of these, these little perks, which, which I, you know, it actually doesn't impact engagement quite as much as we, we like to pretend it does. But I think I had this belief that leaders in these spaces understood the engagement of people better than let's say other industries. And so I would have to say when I had pivoted into this industry and got to know this industry a little better, that wasn't the case, at least not from from my perspective. And what I could see was that a lot of small businesses, I mean, it makes sense. You're focused on the financial pieces. My husband is a small business owner and same thing. He's he's focused on, you know, how do I make sure that I can uh, make money so that I can pay my staff so they have jobs? What happens is, is when you focus too much on that and there's not enough balance in your, in your mindset there, then you forget about the things that matter, which is the people who are doing the work for you. And, and then, you know, without knowing it, I think some people make decisions that, that don't benefit those people and it ends up. And then the problem is, is that you don't necessarily see the impact of that decision right away. Like you would, if you had to, you know, if you couldn't sell a product, right. You suddenly, you don't have the money coming into your account. Whereas when you make a small decision, you know, about like maybe cutting shifts or cutting pay or not hiring a diverse staff, you don't see those decisions directly or the impact of those decisions directly later when we see them. So then we don't associate the feedback down the road with that decision. And so I think that what I would love to see is just sort of this more of an awakening around the importance of leadership. I mean, oil and gas has figured it out that the behaviors they have and the cultures they have are not so great when it comes to engaging people. And so they've set up large groups of people to try to address that. And I worked in these places. And what's difficult is that it's hard to make change without the buy-in of all the leaders. Because what what I always think about is Gallup had said this, actually, Gallup is a research organization that does a lot of work on engagement. They talked about how in every in every organization, for every leader you have in your organization, you have a culture. So so you have so each leader sets their own culture. I feel like I just totally messed up the way that quote sounds, but for every leader there's a there is a culture. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Because everybody like in 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 a in a corporation, they usually have a bunch of different leaders running different areas, and then that leader just likes to do things their way. And they some of them are, you know, friendly and 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 you know, working towards raise raising everybody's value and and having everybody contribute. And then other people are a little bit more dictatory. <laughs> and and so all those, even though the organization itself is supposed to have a culture, each individual leader has their own little culture as well. It makes perfect sense. I think everybody can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And so there has to be this belief in people that they, that the people matter as much as the profits. And it has to then, that belief has to then permeate into the behaviors and the actions that you take and the decisions that you make in your business. And I, so, so I think that that's an opportunity for all of us to learn more about this so that you can shift some habits, maybe change some bad habits, and start to rethink how you do things so that you don't follow the same trajectory as some of these older industries 
and, you know, longer standing businesses, because, you know, you see these breaking points where organizations, they grow very quickly and particularly in startups, right? If you, if you grow very quickly, that changes your culture. I remember having a conversation with a, an entrepreneur who was talking about how quickly their, their culture was growing. It was like four people a week. And I asked, I asked this person, do you have a plan for how you are going to, you know, shift your culture as a result? They said, oh, no, no, no. Well, we just sit down with them. The executive team sits down with them and we, we onboard them. I said, yeah, but for every person that you add, it's like another ingredient to the cake. It doesn't, you can't just, you know, take cocoa and say, you are going to act like salt today. Like it just doesn't work. And so you have to, you know, think about your culture in that way that every time you add people to the team, it changes and evolves and you have to be ready for it in any way that it, then it works. So I think that was like a long way of kind of talking about how um, I think there's a lot of opportunity to do things differently than how it was and how it's been done before and to rethink how we engage people at the start and to maybe question some of our, our orthodoxies or our old ways or our current ways of doing things that we think have to happen, you know, like this, like a hustle culture, this, like, you know, you put in all the time to get it all out. I, there are ways to not do that and to be successful. So I think that's what I hope that these circles start to just unpack and, and open up as a, a new way of thinking about how we how we work within our businesses, how we lead our businesses, how we connect with each other in the ecosystem that I think will create a much healthier ecosystem for innovation. Nice. I love it. Um, I'd love to actually hear your thoughts on the other side of that, because when you, when you read things on, on LinkedIn and articles and podcast stuff, it, there, there's so much focus on how the leadership of an organization should do all these things to make people feel more involved and more inclusive. But what I see a lot of neglect is uh, not my job or, you know, I've heard people say the company wants us to all think that we're a family we're not a family, it's a job. And, and I hear people say things like, well, you know, am I going to be paid for that? So if, if they have to contribute to some sort of social activity, or they have to be part of, you know, you know, some sort of cultural type involvement or whatever, they're only going to be there if they get paid for it, or if they if they get something of great value out of it. Otherwise, you know, I'd rather be at home with my cat or whatever it is. So how do we how do we change people's mindsets to say like, you know, the, you get in what you put out or you get out what you put in. <laughs> if you say that in the wrong order, it doesn't make any sense, does it? But the fact of the matter is, you know, if you are willing to put in a little effort that maybe you don't get paid for, but make all the hours you do get paid for so much better. Like, I don't know, I'm just sort of scrambling a bit, but I really want to hear your thoughts on the other side of it with the individuals. Yeah. Um, oh, I have so I have so many thoughts. I'm trying to figure out where to even start. <laughs> I think that so so I like to look at the systems on why why do we you know behave the way we do? Why do we expect things the way we do? And so I think that if I were to take that approach, what I what I often look at is okay, what is contributing to that person's whether it's resistant or you know miscontent or content. I don't know if that's a word where they're not wanting to, or they're resistant to contributing. And I think that that like, so when you think about the individual, that matters. And so if we're talking about a marginalized group, um, then, then 
could be coming from a space where they are often asked to, to volunteer their time to do this extra thing without getting any value for it. And so that might be like totally legitimate that like often, you know, I know my experience from like women, we often do things like diversity related efforts. We, we plan social things that help impact the team and we do it all off the side of our desks, which really means we do this extra work, right? Because if you're doing it off the side of your deck, you're doing it when you're not doing some of your other stuff. And if your other stuff is taking a full-time job to do, well, guess what? You're working extra. So I think that, that that's one angle. Uh, the other thing it has me think of is there's sort of uh, what we call organizational citizenship behaviors and counterproductive work behaviors. So organizational citizenship behaviors, OCBs, those are considered things that are extra that people will do on the job without even having to ask them. And what we know with research is that when people feel engaged in their work, and they like what they do, and they enjoy the company, then they will more likely do organizational citizenship behaviors, do the extra. On the flip side, people who are feeling like there is not some level of equity, and so this is where I think we've probably heard the terms like quiet quitting, but it's it's actually quite old theory. It's it's equity theory, and where people are seeking to find equal, like like evenness and fairness, and it's not always like you know one to one. It, it depends on the person. They're looking for some level of equity in their work. And if they're feeling like they're being overworked, or if even if they're feeling mentally impacted, so that thought load is high, then they are going to look for ways to reduce their input in order to even it out. Because they might even just be feeling so burnt out and so overwhelmed, even if it's not the organization's fault. It's coming from the individual. So then they might do sort of these counterproductive work behaviors, which can get into some of the bad stuff like sabotaging the business or stealing from the business. But working to rule is very close to that line, which is essentially, you know, I'm not going to put in that my day ends at four and that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm not doing anything till I get back to work at eight. And so that's where I would question not the intent, but what is going on for that person. And so I often, you know, help leaders. I ask leaders to go, have you had the heart to heart? Have you had that, that sit down with that person to really understand what is going on? And oftentimes that all, that's all it takes to understand that maybe there's something going on from, you know, their personal lives that's really stressing them out. Or maybe they're, you know, they're, I don't know, maybe they had to take a second job because they're not making ends meet. And so I think it's, this is kind of the messy people stuff that doesn't have a, a playbook that you can just <laughs> But, it, but I think getting good at having those conversations with other people, and it doesn't even have to be as a leader, right? Like it's like, because you're talking about from the individual perspective, it's, it's looking out for each other and caring for each other and noticing when someone you work with is just is not showing up the way they usually do, or they're resistant to something and, and asking them why. And they may have a very legitimate reason for it. And then I would be also looking inwards and questioning our own assumptions about what we believe work is. And how much of that is our learned behaviors from societal norms, from, you know, the industrial way of working, because the way we've been working, been actually the, the least amount of time humans have worked in this way. And I know there was a, I had done a lunch without lunch presentation last year on how work has evolved for us, but really it's only been the past 300 years we've worked like this. And just think of human history where we didn't work like we have. So, so yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of things to look at. I don't know. I really meandered all over the place. We could probably talk about this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No, but I think it was, there are some really powerful thoughts in there. And um, 
I think like the messy people stuff you talk about, I mean, every individual has their own reasons for the way they act and do things the way they do. And I think like if you, if you truly love the job and you truly love the company and the people you work with, it's probably not an issue at all. And so maybe if somebody's kind of like watching the clock and leaving at exactly four o'clock and going home and not coming until exactly 9am the next day or whatever it is, maybe there's something going on. Maybe they don't like their job and maybe it would be interesting to have that heart to heart discussion with them. I also think, I mean, workplaces were kind of created out of factories, right? And so this like technology informed the way we have built our relationship with work. So people have always been the afterthought when it came to work, which is really, which is really interesting because it also means that work doesn't feel natural to us on so many levels, right? Which is why it's, you know, hard to pull yourself out of bed when it's dark out in the morning uh, to get yourself to work because it's, it's not natural. Humans didn't wake up before the sun before that, cause you can see. <laughs> so I think that there's, there's a, We've created these systems in place that may not be very natural or conducive for humans. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's another thing to, to look at and to consider as it's like, well, how are people doing and, and why are people burnt out after working 60 hours a week? And, you know, uh, it, there's lots of reasons to look at the way we've shaped our workplaces and go, hmm, maybe that's why. Maybe it's because humans shouldn't work that much. Maybe they do need more social connection. So I'm all for AI taking over our jobs so we can <laughs> enjoy life a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I think that, like one of the things that that I've been thinking a lot about over the past, you know, at least decade and a bit is that people are so focused on how many hours you're working. And a lot of jobs are focused on, you know, people putting in their eight hour days and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of research out there that shows that like five hours is probably the best productivity you're going to get out of anybody. And it'll obviously it'll vary, but I would like to see people look at paying for somebody's brain and what they can accomplish rather than the number of hours they work in a day. I know, I know with myself, it's like, I work all kinds of wacky hours. I don't, I don't work, you know, a stretch of eight hours during the day. And then it just doesn't, it, I can't do it. Right. And so if someone says, these are the things we need and we need them, you know, within this time frame, then I'll just do whatever I have to do to make that happen. I don't, I don't sit there and punch the clock. Right. And, and I can't, can't work that way. It, it stresses me out. So I would love to see people say, well, okay, well, this person has this skill set. You know, it, we'll try and figure out what a reasonable amount of, of productivity is for that person to produce in a week or, or a month or whatever it is. And then let them work whatever hours they want to work in order to deliver what they need to deliver. And, and then you only have to have a conversation when they're not delivering. <laughs> and that's, and I think, People aren't machines, right? And so, but our workplaces are created or have been informed by machines. So the way we've set up our time has been informed by how the factory assembly line worked and having this this time that we shouldn't, you know. So I think that, I mean, and this idea of people are not machines goes against a lot. We all kind of laugh, you know, chuckle and go, yeah, obviously. But we do things that like machines machinized people. Uh, And even like some of the things that we like some of the words and analogies and metaphors that we use in workplaces are related to that. And so we kind of like, let's grease the wheels or let's, let's, let's oil the the machine. Like, and so we talk, like, we talk about these analogies and a lot of them are war related to 
and sport related. It's like some of the things I can't unsee since I've, since I've learned about that, where it's like, let's divide and conquer. <laughs> this is, this is this, I mean, we can get into like the colonization of workplaces and this is, there's this one way that we believe we should be working. But I would put out there that like even beyond sort of what is someone's ability to produce, I would say it's it's like, how do we shift it to the, the outcomes in the end? Because I think that there's also some orthodoxies we need to question about what is productivity, right? What does that look like? And is it is it generated by one person? Because goodness, like collaboration takes a lot longer, but it produces a much better result. And so how how do we start to shift our focus to outcomes? and to impact that we're having versus versus like what is the the thing that someone can do by themselves or the input that they could put in because that's a lot harder to to figure out right and i think that's where we end up getting into like a one like one view of what someone could produce and then we then we leave out all these other uh, folks who have amazing abilities and mindsets but might do it in a different way from from what the typical way is we we do things nice well put (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start wrapping up the show here. Is there is there any sort of last bit of of knowledge that you want to impart on people, or anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure we grabbed onto before we uh, say adieu? <laughs> I'm, no, I mean this has been a wonderful conversation. I'll thank you. I just I hope if people are excited about this conversation that they'll consider signing up for the circles because these are the kinds of conversations we get to have and my counterpart Alicia White and I are so excited about the content that is available and the opportunity to connect with people because it it really is special and you just kind of you got to experience it is really <laughs> is the only way and it's not very much time it's like you know the t- to listen to the, the material is your commute time for one one day in the week and then it's just one meeting for you to connect with others love it yeah come on everybody sign up for circles i'm sure it'll be uh, it has already been posted by Rainforest on all this, the socials, but it'll continue to be posted. We'll have it in our show notes. And if you connect with myself or Megan on LinkedIn, we will definitely have that information for you if you want to get it from us. So yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Megan. Thanks, Al. That was so much fun. I could nerd out on this any day, all day. So <laughs> with you with others who want to follow up and yeah let's change the world (laughs) excellent i love it okay thanks everyone tune in next week for another episode of the leaders innovators and big ideas podcast for rainforest alberta cheers if you haven't already visit rainforestab.ca and sign the rainforest social contract Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. We build great custom software while bridging the gap between education and experience. New Idea Machine makes your ideas real. Visit newideamachine.com for more info. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.